Hey everybody, it is episode 83 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas. Steve is back in the ATX as well, but piping in from his home. Hey Steve. Hello podcast world. We've got a guest on the show that I think everybody will be eager to listen to. We made a commitment, a promise took a stand, put our money where our mouth was in episode 79 with listener Mary Margaret. And she is on the show to talk about the guarantee we made that she would get, be able to break four hours if she was running slow enough on our long run. We've, we took the opportunity to get her on the show and coach her up a little bit. She pulled a training program off the internet and has basically been following that. And so in order to make sure our money is safe, we wanted to bring her on, not necessarily rewrite her schedule completely, but give her some tips on how to make some adjustments to it to get the most out of that result, out of that race, so that she can get the result that we want for her, which is to break four and also save our cash in, in paying for her race entry. So, so this was a bit out of necessity, but it was also a fun conversation because I think everybody will be able to connect with Mary, where Mary Margaret's coming from and and it's a fun interview. So that will come shortly. And thanks again to Mary Margaret for being willing to come on and share. Let's talk intro topics. First of all, we've got to, as a reminder, we talked about this at the very end of our last episode. As a reminder, we've got our next book for the Endorphin Book Club, Selected, Dina Castor's book, Let Your Mind Run is out now. Go check it out. I linked to it on our last episode in the show notes, the Amazon link, but you can get that. Where books are sold, she talks about her mental approach to getting all of the results that she got through the years. And we're going to have Dina on the show, which is awesome. We haven't confirmed a date yet in August for that, but we will have her on in August. And she's committed to coming on to talk about her book. So if you do have questions, read the book. Get those questions to me, chris at roguerunning.com, and we will ask those of Dina when we have her on. And we're shooting for August 1st on those questions if you have them. So there you go. I'm super excited to have Dina on and talk about the mental side of the sport as we love to talk about already. Now let's talk results. We've got to go to the recap of Petrie. And I get to do a little bit of gloating here as I, as I was pretty much spot on, particularly on the women's race. Stephanie Bruce got the win in her first national title, coming from behind from the chase pack to beat her teammate, Alphine Tulliamuk, who took the early lead and had a gap, but ultimately couldn't hold it. And Stephanie came by her in the last mile to win by under 10 seconds, I believe, was the final gap. Her first national title, as I mentioned, huge result for Stephanie. Good to see her coming back from London to get this big victory in her first U.S. championship. What did you make of this one from Stephanie? I mean, it was amazing. I mean, it was such a great race. And I think the thing that was really interesting is she had a blog or, or an article or something I saw afterwards where she talked about the battle that she had with Alphine, who's her teammate now, and how the struggle that she had with wanting to beat her, but wanting her teammate to do well and how that played out 
on the roads of Atlanta on July the 4th was a really compelling and interesting read, Chris. Did you get a chance to read that? I just saw a quote from it. I didn't read it, but where I think she mentioned Alphine gave her a couple words as she passed, like go girl or get it girl or something like that. And, you know, and how they both want to win. They want to win, but they're also teammates. So it creates this interesting tug inside. So one of the things, Chris, that I thought was so compelling about that article or the, the article that I read on on Stephanie Bruce's win against Alphine was that it brought to mind what happens with all racers when they're on starting lines. On starting lines, we're really worried about of races, right? It's like we're really worried about the number at the front of our name and the number at the back of our name in the sense of what place do we get overall for those elites? They want to win. For those of us who are not going to win the race, it's where we sit either in an overall place perspective that we want to reach or an age group result that we want to place or to be in a certain position, but also the number at the back of our name, Chris, where our result and our time matters to us because why else do we get on out and run all those hard miles week in, week out, then to get a result that's either place-based or time-based. And that second time, that second number at the end of your name is, is, is what your time goal is. And I think Stephanie's or the Stephanie's statements bring to light that that's important and that's essential, but we can look at the people that we're racing against in two different ways. We can look at them as the, the people that we're trying to beat to get that number at the back, at the front of our name, but we can also look at them from the perspective of the people that will help us get the time that we want at the back of our name or to have the race result that we want to have if we're out just trying to run a beautiful race and not necessarily a time goal. So to me, that just showed even at the highest levels, at the levels of elite, of national elite and international elites, they're also struggling and working through this two way of looking at their race result and why they're putting themselves in harm's way on a race day. And it's beautiful that she's able to race her teammate, compete against her teammate, but also look at her after it's all said and done and say, thank you. And maybe it's easy for Stephanie because that was her teammate. But maybe it's not because it's her teammate. And therefore, just having those bodies around you in races, they're there to aid us and abet us in our goals of what we're trying to achieve. And, you know, that article might not have had that much to do with it, but that's what I reflected on with it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And it's clear that now with Alphine training there with with Ben Rosario and crew, you got Kellen Taylor, you got Stephanie Bruce, you got Alphine, all taking names and kicking asses so far this year which means as we've talked about many times watch out for this group because yes ben's got ben's got ben's got it going on for sure and there's magic there chris there's team there's team magic yes it kind of feels like what we have in austin you know it kind of feels like team rogue in a way how we have that esprit de corps there you know yeah, it also made me reflect on how long Stephanie's been at this. I mean, she's been, you know, I think the quote I saw, she talked about 12 years of trying to get a national title and finally getting it. It's amazing. But really, it's longer than that. I mean, she's 34, I think. So, you know, 12 plus years of trying to get a national title, trying to compete at the highest level. And not really having a bunch of results to hang her hat on. I mean, 
She had an amazing marathon debut in Houston, going sub 230 in her debut. But, you know, and, and has had some results recently, but had a big struggle in the middle there of trying to find her edge again. She also had two kids in the middle of that. So to to be able to stay in the game and keep working hard and take those ups and downs and just roll with the punches and just stay on it, to see it pay off is just really cool for me as a fan, as somebody who's been following Stephanie's career for a long time. So it just makes me happy that that work pays off and is a reflection for the rest of us out there that this running game is a long-term game. You know, you just got to stay in it. And sometimes it takes years to get what you want out of it. But if you keep working, keep putting in the miles, it'll pay off. She also talked about in another article I saw about how London, she described the London Marathon, even though she was top 10 there as one of the worst of her career. And she kind of came off of that down and depressed, wanting something more from it. I know she was going for a big time goal there and didn't quite get what she wanted on a hot day in London. But to see her stay in and bounce back and get this result, plus the podium at USA's and the 10K, this is really, really cool. So congrats to Stephanie. She's definitely one we can all be a fan of and, and see as a role model in this sport for sure. On the men's side, I don't think anybody would have given Bernard Lagat a chance to win, but the 43-year-old got the win. I, of course, mentioned that I thought he might have a chance to get on the podium. And sure enough, he pulled it off by to get a three-second win over Heron Lagat and Tyler Pennell, who finished third from Zap Fitness. What do you make of old man Lagat? I think I saw that this is his first 10K victory ever. As a guy who's made his career as a five-time Olympian at the 1,500 and 5,000 to see him go up at the age of 43, win a road 10K on a hilly course in a hot, on a hot day in Atlanta is pretty damn impressive. Well, my take is don't leave the old man Lagat in the game. You better pack. You better <laughs> unpack that guy. You better run him off your wheel. You better get him out the back door, because if he's anywhere near and you near that finish line and he can smell blood, he's a shark and he's coming for you. There's no doubt about it. And that has been his. Le- that has been the lesson of. That has been the lesson of many a foe that has lined up against Lagat, and it is really cool to see that playing out here again. And also, Chris, so many people counted Lagat out because of his training style, that he didn't do tons of miles, that he, that, he, that he was always doing higher intensity work, lower volume work. And Chris, one of the things that we espouse in this podcast um, and also espouse to our podcast training members is how much miles matter. But Chris, another thing that's really crucial that we espouse all the time is that you have to believe in what you're doing and follow through and stay consistent with what you're doing. And for Bernard Lagat, 90 miles a week doesn't work, and he doesn't do it. Now, I'm sure he's doing a little bit more than the 30 to 40 to 50 he was doing when he was, when he was running the 15, but I doubt it's very much more, given that his age and given his biomechanics and given the way he trains and the fact that he's still working with this same coach. To me, what a testament to you can get fast a lot of different ways. Though we have a basic philosophy here at Rogue, it's not everyone's philosophy, and that's okay. Because if you can win it and you can get it done, it's because you believe that you can win it. And Chris, the mind plays so much, so much a part of this. It's not the only thing, 
You can't just visualize yourself to an Olympic gold medal, right? You just can't. But what he believes he can accomplish and then allowing the race to play out and staying in it long enough so he can take advantage of his strengths. You know, he's a wily competitor. He's tough as nails. He can kick like a motherfucker. And Chris, even more, he believes. And that just, that's so cool. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, the, that may be the coolest thing of all to me. Yeah. He said in his post-race interview that he was struggling a little bit at the mile four mark when they crossed over the bridge there. But so he ran the next mile, the fifth mile, as if it was the last mile of the race, knowing that if he just stayed in it to get to that final mile, he, he would have a chance to at least get on the podium. And he did. He stayed in it. And sure enough, came up, came up with the win, out kicking. Heron Lagarde, I don't think those two are related. I don't think they are. They happen to share. Yeah. They happen to share a last name. And then Tyler Pennell, big result for Tyler. And it, ah. against the stack field. Yes. Yeah. Against the stack field, Zap again showing up at the top of these races. And he's somebody that who continues to have results like this. You can't count out when it comes to the Olympic trials in the marathon in 2020. That's for sure. Because that, that, as we've talked about, the men's side is going to be pretty open-ended after Rupp. By the way, speaking of that, I, I don't know if you saw, but because Chalanga was in this race too, he, did you see that Sam Chalanga retired? I did see that. This was his last race as a pro, and apparently he's joining the Army, going into officer school, and retiring from the sport. It's crazy. Pretty amazing. I mean, I don't, it is amazing, especially given, you know, he was starting to have some big results, obviously competed at world half champs this year and, you know, has done well at pretty much all levels, you know, and was competing well with his teammates there in, in Colorado Springs. So to see him step away and kind of pursue a bigger calling for him joining the military is really Surprising, but also amazing, as you say. But uh, but I think the pro running world will miss him for sure. And the results, you know, as I, you know, I've been a champion of Sam Chalinga's for a long time, Chris. And especially when he got out into the roads, I thought he had a real chance at the marathon to make a big impact. But you know, Chris, running is so important, but life is more important. And obviously, there's things in his life that matter more, and responsibilities he feels or compulsion that he has to either be the best he can be as a person or for his family or whatever reason that maybe in our calculus, it doesn't make sense, but in his own, he seems very strong in his decision to do that. I know he's a person of faith. I know he went to Liberty college and that's a very, it's a very Christian school. So maybe that has some piece to do with it too. I don't know, but it's uh, it seems incongruous, but I'm sure that there's a really good reason for it. And um, though I don't know exactly what officer training school provides, you know, I'm not cognizant of that. I'm not on the up and up on that, but um, we will miss him. Um, but I think we should also respect whatever decision he makes because it wasn't an easy one for sure. Well, yeah, Nike didn't renew his contract, so we know that. He's got two sons. 
at home and a wife. You know, his sons are five and one, Micah and Noah. So he also had to be thinking about how do I support my family? And with no contract, maybe this was the best path for him. So he did say in an article on Let's Run, he says, I've done everything that I wanted to do in running. I've got more than I asked for when I came in. I don't want to wait until I'm old or something. I feel young. I feel fresh. I feel like I have a lot of energy and I want to take this job when I'm going to serve at the best level of my ability. So kudos to Sam Chalenga for making that decision. I know that couldn't have been an easy one. Okay, next we've got to talk about bandwagon jumping because if you're not already on the Shelby Houlihan bandwagon, it's time to it's time to get on if you can catch it. Because, <laughs> because she threw down another amazing result at the diving league meet in Lusane. She ran a three fifty seven for the win to get the fourth fastest American time in the 1500 ever, only a second behind Shannon Robry's American record and just absolutely blew away the last hundred to go by Laura Muir for the win. 14 seconds and change. I think she had the fastest final hundred by nearly a second in what was a rabbited race, but she's sort of hung in there in fourth or fifth the whole time. And then that last 200 just turned on the jets and blew by everybody. Absolutely unbelievable to get another Diamond Diamond League win, her second of the year, with the other one being at Prefontaine. She is absolutely on fire right now. And who knows, there may be another big result coming for her. I'm sure she'll do another Diamond League 15 as the Diamond League finals will be coming up. And I would imagine she's got to be eyeing, at this point, the American record, having only finished a second off there at Lusane. So, what do you think? What, what are, what are we, what's next for Shelby Houlihan after this big result? I mean, this result basically solidifies her as the number one 1,500-meter runner in the, in the world currently. Of those who are operating, now we wouldn't call her the best 1,500-meter runner in the world right now because Jinzebi Dababa um, has got the right to hold on to that title. but. I mean, she, the, the scalps that Shelby took at that race, Chris, are ones that will, she will be able to use in training and in her future races for, at a, to put her at a confidence level that's going to go through the roof over the moon. And, uh, you know, I think now there's only one conversation that needs to happen with her in terms of what she's training towards and for, and that's to be a world championship medalist. And to be a world champion in the 1500 and also to be looking at the 2020 Olympic Games in Tokyo as being an Olympic gold medalist. And really, there's no other option. It's kind of like what happened with Emma Coburn and uh, uh, what's her name from the Bowerman group? Um, my brain. Courtney. Yeah, that they know they now are now in that place as well, where they are the number one, their world champion and second in the world. And so they're now in a position where there are no make a team, get on a podium. Now it's wins, wins, wins. And uh, Chris, that's really cool for Shelby to be moved into that category. We've been talking about this this year, about how we thought this might be possible. Um, and there it is, you know, pretty amazing result and surprising. I don't know, Chris, do you think it was surprising? <laughs> no, I mean, not really. I mean, we knew this was coming. 
after 359. I mean, she's been building to this all year. And with the strength that she's built through Jerry's program to, to be able to put that plus the speed she already had together, doesn't surprise me in the least to see her run at 357. Now, she beat Laura Muir. She beat Steve Hanasan. She beat Caster Semenya. Sige, I mean, the only big scalp really remaining at this point for her is Dababa. Right. And, you know, that may be a scalp that's ungettable given this her. This year it is because she's not in the playing the game, right? So she's. Right. right. Well, of course she's not. Yeah. She's ducking the drug, <laughs> she's ducking the drug testers. But, but anyway, but I've said this before and you sort of hemmed and hawed a little bit about it. It's like, why wouldn't you, if you're, if you're Shelby Hulan, why wouldn't you focus on the 1500 at this point, at least through 2020, 19, you know, 2019, 2020 world champs and Olympic games to see if you can get a gold. Because at this point, I believe she has the tools to do it. Chris, I needed to see this result for me to say that, you know, uh, this 359 getting sub four was crucial, but this is a level of great above that. This is amazing. And I, I'm, I, I think that I, now I'm, I'm in your camp completely. I still think she should run fives and I still think we might see great things from her in the five, but I truly now recognize that yes, she needed this time. She needed to run this time and to beat these kinds of people in an international diamond league level race in order for me to say, yes, 15 is the main event. Um, but don't sleep on her in the five either, Chris. I still think of course not. Things three fifty seven now puts her at a different level, and with the strength training that she's done, what will her what will happen with her confidence, and how much better is her kick at the five k, Chris? This is the other thing that people may not know that the kind of kick that she has is more devastating in a five k than a fifteen hundred. So, who knows? Right. She'd have to be there. Yes. Right? She'd have to be right. there. Right. But her kick is more devastating in a 5K, and less of those 5K runners can do what she can do. For sure. But you got to be able to run 1420 to 1430 to be there in a 5K. And we haven't seen that from her yet, but maybe that's coming too. Who knows? At this point, the sky's the limit for Shelby Hulan, and it's so cool to see all of that play out for her. So stay tuned, everybody. There will be more Diamond League meets for Shelby, including the final coming up later this summer to see if she can win the Diamond League title for the 15, which would be a huge result for her. So we will see. Last intro topic for today. I want to point you guys to a blog that came out this week from Tiana Bartoletta. She is the reigning Olympic gold medalist in the long jump, an American who's also won World Championship medals finished actually third in the in the in London last year at the World Championship, but has World Championship gold prior to that as well. Has a world record. She is basically the best long jumper in the world right now. If you look at her resume, she put out a blog this week, kind of talking about how she's feeling about the sport. It's been a little bit of a down year for her this year. She's struggled with some injuries, hasn't had the result that she's wanted, but she's been in this game for a long time. And she put out a blog this week kind of giving a picture of 
how she feels about the sport right now. And I think it also gives us interesting insight as fans into the state of our sport and how hard it can be even for those that are the best of the best. So I'm going to read a quote from it, then we can talk about it. And I'll post the link to the blog in the show notes. She says, I think one of the reasons I'm still here all these years later is because I've never felt justly compensated for or validated by my effort for my accomplishments in the sport. If I left the sport today, sure, I'd be leaving with six gold medals, three bronze medals, and a world record, but I'd also be leaving with barely a nickel to my name to help, me, to help propel me to my next thing. And then she goes on to talk about that and her feelings about it and how she's had to sort of learn to separate her self-worth from results and being compensated for her job and, and, you know, just having it be standalone, having standalone value. So I read that and one, it makes me sad that the best long jumper currently who's American can't make money to sustain a living for herself in this sport. That's just crazy to me. And it also makes me want to do everything I can as a fan. And so part of the reason why I put this out there is so that you guys as, as hopefully fans that have come along with us learn that we have to invest everything we can in, in the stories of athletes like Tiana because as fans, we can do our part uh, by giving attention to the sport, by watching it on TV, by getting the damn NBC Gold Sports Gold package. We can invest in those ways to help make things better for these athletes. And obviously, there's big structural changes that need to happen to the sport as well. But unless we do our part as fans, it's going to continue to be difficult. But she also makes other points at the end about separating results from your self-worth and being able to have your own identity apart from what you're doing in the sport, whether that's an Olympic athlete like her or whether you're a weekend warrior or somebody who's doing this as you know, just an everyday pursuit as a part of life. So I think there's good messages in there, both as fans and as people that are in our own pursuit towards goals. So highly recommend you read it, but also wanted to get your thoughts, Steve, on it. I mean, I'm with you 100%, Chris. I mean, in the sense of saying that we need to be fans. That's why we preach this on this podcast. And, but I, I do want to make the point that I think is pretty philosophical, maybe a little bit metaphysical. It just comes back to the nobody, the, you know, nobody owes Tiana anything. The, nobody owes anybody anything. And she's doing that activity for whatever reasons she's doing it. She's doing it, um, she needs to realize that the, there's no guarantee that the result that you put in is going to equal dollars or a result. She got all the results that one could possibly expect, and maybe she's missing the money or the right fame or the recognition. But And that's a shame and that we do need to step up as fans to allow people who have that kind of level for them to be heroes for all of our children, for heroes for us as role models that we can watch. But it still doesn't change the fact that 
Nobody's guaranteed anything. And she, you should be doing it for the reasons that this is your purpose. This is why you're here on this planet. And this is a part of why you're here on this planet for her. I struggled for many years, Chris, with self-worth issues as a competitive athlete. At the end, I'm not sure that I ever really overcame them. So I sympathize with her thought. But I have come to believe, too, that nobody running didn't owe me any results. Track and field doesn't owe her anything. And we all need to think about that also, that we should be doing this for reasons that are much more than what might come to us from a results perspective on paper or the financial gain we might get from it. So that doesn't take away at all what you're saying, Chris. I just wanted to make that point that we've got to do this. We have to have our purposes correct in order for us to get the most out of this endeavor that we're doing because it doesn't make any fucking sense. Whether you're a goal, and what she's saying is you can be an Olympic gold, multiple time Olympic gold medalist and world champion, and it still doesn't make any fucking sense. And what I say is, yeah, are you still going to stop? You're going to stop doing it? (laughs) (laughs) Clearly she's not. She goes on to later say, she says, the idea that my worth is derived from anything external outside of myself is an illusion. That's why it's called self-worth and self-esteem. It absolutely must come from within. So she comes around to that conclusion in the blog, which I think makes it more powerful. But I can imagine being in her position, how frustrating it is. She, she gives one anecdote, anecdote in the blog about how she wasn't going to get an appearance fee from a certain meet this year. And the meet manager happened to also be connected to the agent of one of her competitors. And she basically got the message from this this meet director that she wasn't going to get paid because she's, quote, subpar now. And, you know, meaning she hadn't had any big results this year. <laughs> but... But she also wonders, well, wait a minute, is it about my results or is it about the fact that you're connected to one of my rivals? And so you have this weird, incestuous world of politics and track and field meets all over the world, in Europe especially, but all over the world, that just makes bullshit like this silly and unfair for somebody who should get paid based on the merits and not just because of some silly politics behind the scenes. Anyway, it's a good blog, good insight into the state of the sport and how tough it can be for an athlete, even an athlete who has a gold medal, to make it in this game and how difficult it is for them to stay committed even though they have the results and the accolades. So take a read. I think there's also messages for all of us in terms of how we relate to our sport and think about it driving our own worth. So get in there, take a read, and then be a fan of Tiana Bartoletta. I am now more of a fan, having read the blog, and I appreciate her opening up on it. All right, Steve, now we're going to turn to our interview with Mary Margaret, who will be, who will be uh, opening up to us in this interview about her goal to get sub four at Twin Cities coming up, and we're going to break it all down, talk about her training program, and give our tips, tips for her. So everybody get ready for... For Mary Margaret, here here she comes. All right, welcome Mary Margaret to the show. How are you today? I'm great, thanks. How are you? We're doing very very well. 
And I know you're freaking out a little bit, but that's okay. Just be yourself. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm freaking out. <laughs> All right. So as we jump into this, I wanted to get a little bit of intro on you. How did you get into this crazy running sport of ours and what prompted you to start doing races? Okay. Um, I, uh, I ran track in high school, more of a sprinter though. And, um, spent the nineties kind of doing, you know, uh, step aerobics or whatever was the craze at the time. And then, uh, really started running when I had kids because it was the most efficient, you know, you just tie your shoes and you're out the door. Uh, but I was actually, I didn't call myself a runner for a long time, even when I was running, you know, most every day, um, I think I just didn't really count myself as as one of them. I, you know, I was always just kind of went out, went for a jog, and it was always just for exercise. Uh, there was never really any goal in mind. Uh, and then I actually signed up. My first race was a marathon. Um, I may have done like a 5K or two before then, but um, nothing that I took seriously at all, but I did the marathon when my girls, the youngest started kindergarten because I seriously thought I would maybe have a nervous breakdown because I had not been in my house alone with no one to care for, for 12 years. I guess my oldest was 12 by then. And, uh, so that was, uh, yeah, six years ago. And I think I said in the um, in my email that it was not a good experience. It really wasn't a bad experience. I mean, I I finished it and I was proud of myself and I had gone in with no goal, really. But I think, you know, once I thought back on it, I thought I would had no idea what I was doing and I could have done better if I had just uh, paid a little more attention to the process. Um, and so that's kind of how it started and, you know, did a few halves, um, here and there. Um, and then last summer, uh, all four of my kids went to camp for almost a month and I felt like, uh, it was an opportunity to do something really to, um, mostly to just kind of show my kids that I could still set goals and, and, you know, really live a big life. And because I would, that's what I want them to do. And so I wanted them to see me do that. And so I decided I was going to uh, do a solo hike. So I solo hiked uh, about 200 miles on the Superior Hiking Trail in Minnesota carried everything on my back and slept on the ground. And, um, it was awesome. And I mean, my, my kids were so proud of me. My husband was so proud of me. I felt like just very alive and excited to have set a goal and done it. And, um, so people kept saying, well, what are you doing next? And I was like, Oh, I'm not, I don't know. It's not like a thing I'm doing. I just wanted to do something and did it. No big deal. Then I kind of started getting the itch again to do something. And um, so I was uh, kind of started thinking about running because I've, I've been feeling really good with my running lately. And um, 
I started listening to podcasts, and the first one I listened to was Marathon Training Academy, which is uh, Trevor and Angie. They live in um, Pennsylvania, and they're seriously maybe the sweetest human beings on the planet. And they just want everybody to run, and they don't care how fast you go. And they just want you to just run that marathon and change your life. And I mean, they're they're so sweet. And they just made me think I probably needed to run another marathon and change my life. Um, and then I, I found my way to y'all and y'all made me feel like I really needed to shut up and run and um, try a little harder. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, really, that's kind of how it started. That's how, that's how I got from there to here. For context, you've got four kids. If I'm doing my math right, the oldest is 18 now and the youngest no, is 11. No, apparently my, my, um, my math may have been wrong. The oldest is going on 16. The youngest okay. are twins and they are 11. Okay. And in the middle and the one in the middle there? 13. Wow. So entering, so you dealt with the teenage years. You must be an old veteran for that as the 11 year olds approach that, that mark. Yeah, but they're girls. So, uh, <laughs> so a whole new ball of wax. <laughs> and what do you do for work, Mary Margaret, just for context? I am just with the, I am with the kids. I keep the balls in the air. Nice. <laughs> Working very hard at that. I'm sure with four at home. Yeah. So you mentioned that first one as, you know, something that you did to kind of show them you could do something, but you also jumped from not having done a race in a while since I'm presumably since high school to jumping to the marathon distance, which is skipping over a bunch of other races that are challenging, certainly, but going right for the big one. Why did you make that leap? <laughs> uh, you know, I think it kind of, that kind of goes along with my personality kind of like now I've done several half marathons. I honestly love the half marathon dis distance. It's just, it's so manageable. It doesn't really take over your life. You can kind of just work it in and, you know, you can go run a half marathon and get on with your day. It's not, you know, it's not, uh, at, you know, that huge of a deal. But for that first one, I really wish they wouldn't call it a half marathon because to me that was like, oh, it's not a whole marathon. It's a half marathon. That's lame. So I didn't want to be lame. That's probably why I went, I did the marathon first. <laughs> she didn't want to be lame, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, yeah. we have to, of course, remind our listeners that it's certainly not lame to do a half marathon. It's not. Like, I, I seriously, I love the half now. But Mary Margaret is, is definitely not throwing stones. Yeah. I mean, a half, half marathons are awesome. I just, I was so unacquainted with the world, uh, with the world of running, honestly. So just from an outsider's perspective, um, that's what it looked like. But now that I know what marathons are like and what half marathons are like, I don't think of it like that as at all. So you did this epic solo hike last summer and now you're signed up for Twin Cities, which will be your second marathon. Yes, is that right? That is right. So what's 
What's the reason? What's the purpose for this one? The purpose for this one. So I really think I, I mean, honestly, I wanted to I want to get under four. Um, I feel like I can. And when people ask me if I've run a marathon or if I say I say I ran a marathon, I just feel like I want to be able to say I ran a sub four. Is that a you know, it, that sounds like kind of a hokey reason. I just and I really don't want it to be able to say it. I want to know it. I want to know that I set that standard for myself and I did it. Because even though I didn't know much about marathons going into the first one, I felt like that that was sort of a standard that was like, if you do a sub four, you know, that is a that is a respectable marathon. Not that anything over four is not a respectable marathon. I think anybody who attempts it is is wicked cool. But um, for me, I feel like it's just something I want to accomplish. All right, I'm going to let Steve dig into this now. Well, the what big, do you think, Steve? The big, scary, audacious goals, as you know, if you listen to our podcast, is what makes our what makes us tick. You know, yeah. Um, we we are. Uh, I've I've always been um, known as a coach who um, believed that almost anybody could do almost anything if they put their mind to it. And cliche as that sounds, to me, it's like I I think you found. You found two people who who agree with you, Mary Margaret, but I think that we've got a lot of other things we need to unpack in order to begin to start um, taking that sort of what someone might call uh, pie in the sky or naive or, um, you know, maybe you should just wait and see before you make big goals like that. We're, we've got to go somewhere between, we've got to get there by having some practical steps and practical processes and I think that's pretty much why Chris and I wanted you on today was so we would have the opportunity to do this in a kind of off the cuff, maybe in a way that we do it with our athletes at home. Um, and it seems like you're a person who's game um, and a person who's ready. So, you know, it, it, it's the key thing here is now is Chris really is what, what does this thing look like? What are we doing? And, and besides her big goal, where, what steps do we need to take to begin to get something in play that will that will really work. Well, it seems to me like you're letting her off easy, Steve, a little bit. Well, you you go ahead then. <laughs> I'll jump right. Oh no. Well, well, like on the purpose side, it's just I'm I hear everything you're saying and it all sounds good. But I do think there's it's important to as we've talked about on this podcast many times to know exactly why you're doing something. And I, I want to sharpen that a little bit with you, you know, as I've heard you now for what, 10 minutes, I don't buy for one second that you do this for your kids. I think that's a nice outcome. I think they probably are inspired by you. I think that's a great reason to do something. But I get this sense that there's something deep inside you driving you to these things. I mean, nobody solo hikes to inspire their children for a month. You know, I don't think. I think that that's a personal pursuit. And so I guess my question, as we're refining that part of the equation, you know, the why, is, you know, what is it inside of you that's, are you trying to prove something to yourself? Are you trying to make up 
something you didn't do before? Are you are you just trying to confirm that you're still the badass you knew you you've been all along? Or am I crazy and this is just all about your kids? Um you're not crazy. Um my um dedication and uh just love for my kids is um ginormous. <laughs> And uh, I really do want them, especially I think having girls, you know, they, they have seen me as this stay home mom whose life revolves around them. And I have loved that, but I do not want them to be married to that. I want them to know that they can go for huge things and try and fail. Um, so, it really is it really is somewhat about that honestly um there is i am sure there is a hint of the proving to myself that the badass is still in there because i um yeah i mean you know i've been changing diapers and then packing lunches and then becoming the the carpool and um i love it I mean, I love my job. I love my life. But um, yeah, it's um, it, it does not really lend itself to being a badass. Um, but uh, I guess the, the other thing is maybe just, to my mind, we get to live on this earth one time. And I don't want to ride along in my steel coffin on wheels at 65 miles per hour and miss it. I want to like feel the earth under my feet and I want to do big things and, and, and sometimes suffer, you know, because I feel like that makes you live. And, um, are all of those reasons? <laughs> yes, you're doing well, you're doing awesome. Yes, there are definitely reasons, Mary Margaret. And I think that's what Chris was trying to get at is that um you know it, I I I think that one of the things that's always hard when we talk about people's purpose in the beginning is is really separating the altruistic from the selfish and it and selfish that those those are putting labels on on terms that really are really shouldn't necessarily be uh value graded in my opinion but they just they just are you you this separating the you from the other thing the things that you do um you just hit the nail on the head saying you want more from life and you want to take life by the horns and you want to grab it while it's good and i think those things are things that are wonderful as great role models for your children but those are things for you. Yeah. Yes. And I think, I think that's where you're going to find your power in this pursuit too. Ultimately your kids are going to be inspired. That's, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I can, I can tell from your energy listening to you and your confidence that they're going to be inspired by this pursuit. But I just want to make sure that as you walk into it and especially as you prepare yourself for race day, when that comes, you have a crystal clear picture of your why so that when the going gets tough and if four hours is on the line at in the last five miles of the race, 
you can tap into that why in a really visceral way. So we won't, we won't make you go through all of that today, but I do think as homework, it's something to just really think about and, you know, spending time back with our episode 11, where we talk about statement of purpose and maybe trying to put a sentence or two down on paper to say, I'm running this race. I want four hours because of this. And I think all the words you said just now are great and can, and can contribute to that discussion, but we still need to you know, do some work to refine it and for you to crystallize it down to the thing that matters. We won't make you do that now, but we appreciate your willingness to open up about it. Okay. Yep. I'm game. <laughs> the other thing I want to say before we kind of drill into the specifics of your program, because we want to just provide some tips. We're not going to make wholesale changes, but just want to provide some tips. The other thing I want to talk about is kind of going back to your question that you asked, which is, you know, how am I going to break four hours if I'm doing my long runs much slower than that? You know, that was a big part of your question. Mm-hmm. You kind of also got to the plan A versus plan B thing. Well, I want to spend a second on the, the pace, the pace question. And and one of the things that I talk to my runners about a lot is trust. And you have to trust the process. You have to trust your coach. You have to trust the program. And, and a lot of times when they don't trust that, when, they, when I tell them to run slower on their long runs and they run faster, I think that that's often a product of insecurity. You know, it's, it's a sign that Basically, they feel like they have to prove to themselves every Saturday that they can do this for 26 miles versus slowing down, trusting the process and realizing that they don't necessarily need evidence because they have faith in the program. They have faith in the process. They have faith in me as their coach. And so I do want to unpack a little bit, you know, you know, what's behind that question? Is there a question of trusting us, trusting training principles? You know, as you listen back to our response on that, what what were you thinking about? Um, yeah, I mean that it it makes perfect sense. And when I listen to uh, the way that that y'all coach, it it really does make perfect sense. But then when you just said, uh, you know, prove to yourself every Saturday that you can do it, I was like, oh yeah, that is that is so in my brain when I'm doing the long run. I, I want to prove to myself that I'm going to be able to do it. Maybe it harkens back to that first marathon um, where I did go. I don't know how fast I went out, but it was, it was, it was too fast. And um, really what's been happening with me is I, I've been running. I mean, my long runs, I'm not trying to kill it, but they've probably been pretty close to marathon pace. Um, this last one that I, the last week I, re, I slowed down. Um, but I think it's hard because, um, I mean, my, you know, I am, I am, I am not speedy. So nine minute miles. I mean, I can chat the whole time. It, it's not, you know, and so I feel like it's not hard it's more, you know, it, it is, it's difficult because I get fatigued. My body gets tired. Things maybe start to hurt, but I'm never like, 
you know, I can chat the whole time. And so it doesn't feel like I'm, I'm really putting forth a ton of effort. And so, you know, slowing it down even further, um, you know, feels a little uncomfortable, I guess. So where, just for context, I probably should know this already, but where are you at from a weekly mileage perspective? Oh, you, I don't know if you're going to love this. I was nervous about you asking this. Um, only about 30. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that, that to me is the first real chink in the armor that we're going to have here about whether or not you're going to be able to get what you want. Because no matter how much, as Chris knows, I believe in magic and I believe all kinds of crazy can happen. And I'm like, I don't ever want to limit what a human being can do. Uh-huh. There are some physiological pieces of the puzzle that are so crucial to successful marathoning. And I uh-huh. think that that's one of the areas we're going to have to have conversations about how to make adjustments. Um, can you give me a reason um, that uh, any reason at all for why that number has seemed um, like the right number for you? Well, I, you know, on my, you know, this, this kind of plan that I'm going by is only a 16 week plan, but I've been, um, you know, really kind of training with a goal in mind for probably like seven weeks. But before that, I was pretty much a three day a week runner. Um, I did, I do something every day, almost some, you, sometimes I took a day off before I was really in training, but, um, a lot of times it was elliptical or it was power walking, um, stuff like that. So I think the thing that is holding me back, honestly, is just, I am afraid to ramp it up too fast. I am, I am not afraid to hurt and I am not afraid to work. Like if I knew I could go forward and just start killing it every day tomorrow without getting hurt, I would do it. Um, I am just nervous about uh, my body holding up. Do you have, do you have personal experience where that has happened and um, that you've learned those lessons from personal experience or is this, uh, a fear that you have based on things that you've read, um, ideas that you might have from hearing other people talk about it? Or I guess what I want to know is, is this a concrete, reasonable fear? Or is this something that um, you've just sort of got baked in your head at this point? Uh, uh, I, I think I've just gotten it baked in my head from hearing a lot of people say, don't go, don't, you know, ramp it up too fast, which I mean, I think ideally that's Correct. I mean, if I had a long time to ramp it up, um, that would be ideal. And I don't, I mean, I feel really good right now. Um, I have, I have a hamstring that doesn't love me, um, but it's not injured. It just, it's what, it's my niggle. When something starts to ache or hurt or cramp up, it's that. Um, But I am very diligent about uh, foot drills and clamshells and, um, you know, all the things that I'm supposed to be doing to keep my body healthy. Um, I am. Yeah. How many miles were you hiking a day on your solo adventure? It was pretty close to 30. Okay. Yeah. I did it fast. How did you hold up? 
I held up great. You know, it was weird. The only thing that really hurt was the backs of my knees. I don't even know exactly what that is, but that is what really hurt it. it and, but it was good. I was, I lost some toenails and I smelled really bad, but my body held up pretty well. That's a lot of volume, even if yeah. you're hiking. Yeah. It would, it would tell us that you've got resilience there. Quickly, tell us, so you're following a program that you pulled from where? Internet. Okay. <laughs> Internet marathon program. Is there a particular yeah. site or place that you pulled uh, that from? You know, I'm, I don't know that it had a specific name. I, this is seriously the first time in, uh, 20, whatever. I mean, I've, I've been a, a runner to some degree for a long time and I have never done anything speedy. So I just probably did like speed work, marathon training, something like that in Google. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And um, it's like, I'm really liking it. Like, I'll come home and my husband will be like, what'd you do today? And I'll tell him and I'll be like, oh, my God, it was so hard. It was awesome. You know, um, so I'm really enjoying the, the variation because the fact that that never occurred to me before to vary my speed seems a little ridiculous in retrospect. But um I never have before. So um, that's probably why I came upon this one, because I put something in that had to do with speed work. And you sent me a screenshot that you're using. Uh You've got a speed day where you're doing, it looks like some sort of intervals from 400 meters up to mile repeats, basically once a week. You've got a tempo run once a week that varies between three and eight miles throughout the program. And then you've got a long run that builds up to 220 mile runs with your last one being three weeks out from the marathon. So that's your, you know, your kind of three bigger days for the week. Are you doing other runs as well or how does it all fit together? I am. I am running, um, see that's three, four, five. I'm running two other days a week. And those are sort of nonspecific. Those are, you know, I've just sort of been lacing up the shoes and going out and running um, at a medium speed. <laughs> and um, and uh, for probably I've been doing like four or five miles on those other two days. And then I do a cross training day, which is like walking on a steep incline, like power walking, steep incline or elliptical and I've been doing some um, some weight training and then lots of kind of strength stability, stuff like that. And what week are you on with the schedule? I am on week three. So okay. I did my six 800s this morning. Okay. And 12 miles is your last long run? Yes. Okay. So see, I mean, she if she was, once you get to 20... On this schedule, it looks like it has you peak out at, you know, probably 8, 12, 13, 14 miles, 13 or 14 miles longer than where you're at now. So your peak for this program is somewhere around 
43 to 45. Does that seem right? Um, you know, I haven't done the math, but sure. Seems about right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you, like, if you looked at last week, do you know what your total mileage was? Last like, week was, was about 30? 30. Okay. Yeah. So you did 12 long run, five mile tempo, a couple of four to five milers. That's 27 plus a quality day. So yeah. So that's about right. And then you're going to yeah. add in eight to the long run. You're going to add three to the the tempo and another mile to the quality workout. So that's another 12 on top of this. So you'll be in the low 40s at the peak of this program on, yeah. five, on five days a week. So is that is that bad? Uh, it's not good or bad. I mean, it's just it gives us a sense for where you are from an aerobic standpoint. It also tells me that, you know, if you're doing a 12 mile run, you know, and you're running 30 miles a week, you know, some of that feeling good on the long run at those paces is, is going to be simply the fact that you, you, do, you don't have a lot of longer work around it. So you feel good going into that. So, you know, you know, it, it, it lends itself to feeling good at a, at those sort of marathon level paces. Yeah. But if we added volume, if we said, Hey, Mary Margaret, I want you to be at 40 miles a week now and 50 when you get to 20 miles, then the equation might be a little bit different. I'm not necessarily saying we're suggesting that right now, but I'm just saying if you had more total volume, then the importance of going slower on your long run would be even more. Okay. Yeah. Because in, in order to add volume and add volume safely, it's just like hiking 30 miles a day on your hike. All of that was steady, I'm sure, but low intensity in terms of impact. You know, you weren't running. So your aerobic system was, you know, in a manageable zone during that time. It was probably just not slow, but, you know, consistent and steady pace, right? Yeah. And so if you were running slower during the week, at various times and balancing those paces appropriately, we could build volume safely without you getting injured. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I could tack, uh, you know, an extra mile or two onto those kind of non-specific running days without any problem. Um, I just haven't known whether that is too, too much too fast or not. I think, um, I mean, this is a big change for me, adding adding the speed. And like I said, I have loved it. But I mean, I can, I mean, my body is like, what are you doing? You know, I mean, it feels pretty bizarre. Like I came home um, from my, from my, even my tempo run. And I ran the tempo run this week. I ran on, it was crazy hot and it was really hilly. And I was like, that might not have been the best plan, but um I came in and told my kids, I almost threw up. I mean, I was kind of proud. It felt kind of good, but I felt like, kind of like I was going to throw up. But um, <laughs> that, I haven't felt like that in a long time. So, so what is the guidance you're in this in the schedule? You mentioned the 800s and the tempo runs. The schedule you sent me has the intervals listed in the, in the numbers, but it doesn't say paces. What, what pace guidance are you getting for the intervals and for the tempo? <laughs> um, 
Well, I have a Timex watch, and my husband has a real fancy watch that he's going to coach me up on, and so I can actually know what's going on. But, um, you know, it's easy. I do my speed work on a track, so that's easy. I mean, I just, I, you know, just know how fast I went, and I kind of just go as fast as I can within reason. I mean, like my 800s today were like 330. And it was really hard, but I didn't feel like I was going to die, you know, um, when I'm doing, when I was doing the really short stuff, like the one hundreds with the little pit a pat, um, curves, I, I, I kept kind of thinking to myself, I am not going all out just because I was afraid that I would like rip my legs or something. I was running fast, but I wasn't just like absolutely killing it because it just felt a little scary. Um, as far as the tempo runs, um, I don't know, like this, you know, this, this last one, it ended up being about eight minute miles, which, um, it's funny from a lot of the people you coach, that probably sounds like turtle pace, but it felt pretty speedy to me. And, uh, you know, that's for me, five miles at, at eight minutes felt hard. Um, and that's kind of what I've been going by. I mean, I want it to be hard and, um, but I want to be able to do it. And that's kind of how I've been pacing myself as hard as I can go uh, you know, and still be able to finish. And, and tell me again what your goal time in the marathon is. Four. Nine Oh nine. Nine Oh nine. You ran five miles at your five K pace. Okay. Just so I mean, it might be, and, it might be slightly north of that, Steve, but yeah, between five K and 10 K pace. Slightly north yeah. of that. Right, yeah, but it's faster than 10K, right? So here's a couple of things. The number one thing is I do not want – I think the, the it's really hard to do this. Um, it's really fun to do this on the podcast, but it's really hard too because we're, we're shooting from the hip, which I think is going to make really interesting listening for our, our listeners. But um, it's also going to create some moments where – when I usually meet with my athletes one on one, I'm just like, "You're you're fucking crazy." Oh, right? I so I knew the f bombs were coming. I, I knew you were gonna come to me. But you don't know that it's crazy, okay? <laughs> so it and that's okay. And so the last thing I want to do here before, just so you know, and this caveat that I want to say before I say anything else, is that you haven't done anything wrong at all, Mary Margaret. Okay. In fact, the way that you're approaching this right now makes me super makes me very confident that what the things that you want to accomplish you will i can't guarantee that you'll do them in the time frame that you want that part we're going to have to continue to look at and see but though your approach your attitude your mindset your focus and your fearlessness are all going to be amazing assets as you go through this process but I can see why you might be nervous about getting hurt if you're trying to run really hard, fast, four hundred, uh, you know, eight hundred meter rep, eight hundred meter reps that are pretty darn fast. I mean, you were running nearly your mile, what would be your equivalent mile pace? I mean, you're a little bit slower than, but you're basically at a little. It's faster than your equivalent five k pace for eight hundred meters, and then you're doing your tempo runs at only a little bit slower than that. 
And then you don't have much more energy or much more room for the other work that needs to get done. And so I totally understand now why you're at 30 miles a week. I understand that you're nervous about ramping anything up because you're, you're dead. You're tired. I mean, that's, that's a really hard workout that you just did and, and you should feel exhausted from it. And you probably should have vomited in all honesty. <laughs> Next time I'll just let it go. But where do we go? But where do we go from here? You know what I mean? I guess this is the place where now we've got some numbers. We've got some intel. We know your game, but what's our best approach? And really for Chris and I, this, he and I, I don't know exactly if we're going to come on on the same page here because, but I think we will get to the same place at the end, but we may come at it from different angles. Um, my first thought here is, um, it, it takes so long for your long runs and the volume that you do to be truly to, to adapt and help you to adapt to those things. So while on an, uh, in, a, in a perfect world, Chris and I would love you to be running 50 miles a week, and you probably will be clung somewhere to 40 to 45 by the end of this program that you're on if you stick to this program as you're doing it. But you might not make it to the end of the road if you are trying to do those that volume at the paces that you're doing. So while I like you – shooting from the hip and going by feel, there are physiological checkboxes that are going to be able to get you further down the road with less work that would then allow us to get the volume back up. But you're having a lot of fun and you're enjoying this process. So I get a little torn by it, you know, and, and a little torn about what best advice to give you because you could really go either way. The one thing I will tell you is that there is very little correlation for a five-mile run at that pace to what it will benefit you from a marathon. So that's one thing I want you to think about. What does the race require? You've probably heard me say that many, many times. And you're doing things that are great for your general fitness, and they're stretching you and pushing you, and they're making you a better into a better runner. But they might not be making you into a better marathoner. Yep. Okay. I can see that. So... I've got some thoughts here, Steve, and then, you know, we can beat it around. People Good. can see us sort of sorting through this together. So, you know, if I think about the speed workout, their intervals, she's doing them at the track, you know, that's, that's the VO2 max work that we talked about in our What is Quality series. The tempo you know, if, if she's doing it at the right paces, is going to be working the threshold side of things. And then, of course, the long run is that aerobic development. You know, my first reaction looking at the schedule is that I would like to see her, one, ramp up the long run schedule a little bit more quickly. Nothing crazy, you know, but we like to see athletes get at least three 20 milers in in advance of a marathon. And I think you have the ability to ramp this a little bit more quickly so that you get a little bit more time at 16 or 18 before jumping to 20. But if we're going to do that while also considering building volume in a few other places, we're going to need to change the speed workouts and tempo work so that you're not doing both every week. And so my first reaction is, you know, I want you maybe to do one of those interval workouts every three weeks, one of those tempo workouts every three weeks, maybe two, but doing it at the right paces, which 
for you would be something closer to 8.30, 8.40 than it would be to eight minutes. And then, you know, and then ramp up that long run schedule a little bit more aggressively while replacing those times when you're not doing the intervals that are on the schedule with easy aerobic building runs that might be a little bit longer than you would get if you were doing the speed work prescribed. That sounds smart. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but does it sound like <laughs> something you want to do? <laughs> um, you know, I think so. I mean, I have, you know, when I, when I look at the schedule, even seeing these six, eight hundreds um, coming up, I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds so hard. And, you know, in one sense, I'm like, um, oh, I can't believe I have to do that tomorrow. And then in another sense, sense I'm super pumped up to go do it, you know, um, but I really haven't had that many of them, you know, a couple of times a week for, you know, six or seven weeks. And when I look at that schedule, I and I start to think, okay, is my body going to be able to hold up for that with those ramping up? I mean, they're getting harder and farther um, at the at those quick tempos. It it seems a little daunting, and yeah, it makes me a little nervous uh, as to whether my my body is going to hold up to that. So. Um, I mean, I had, I had thought about it, even though I am having a lot of fun and I, I like looking at something on paper and think saying, that's what I'm going to do. And then marking it off, you know, one thing at a time, just, uh, but I do not want to do anything that puts my body or my race in jeopardy. Well, I mean, how bad does she want some four is the question to me, (laughs) you know? It's like what what you have yeah. here might prepare you for a fast 10k but it's not going to prepare you for a sub 4 hour marathon at least as well as it could it's not optimized for that Okay so if you want it if you want it then you'll make adjustments and and you're going to you're probably thinking well why would I why would an easier program with less of all this speed stuff help me get to my marathon goal better than all this crazy speed stuff, right? It's a natural question. Yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, I've, I know that if that helps me get my mileage up, then that will probably help me. Yes, absolutely. And the aerobic engine is the most important engine to build when it comes to your goal here. Yeah. I mean, this is fascinating to me, really. It's like, and I hopefully will be helpful to, for listeners. It's, it's sort of, you know, we're talking about a little bit of the bullshit meter of if you're pulling a schedule off the internet, you know, whether or not it's going to have the right elements for you. And, you know, and what we're seeing here is this, cookie cutter program, while I think, you know, could be fine depending on what was prescribed for each of these individual days, depending on how you executed them. I mean, you could execute the schedule and still get what you want, but, but there's, there's work to be done certainly to optimize, 
towards what you want. And so that's what we're trying to get to here. I don't want to wholesale rewrite what you have, but I do think you know, we can make some smart changes to it that will give you a better chance of breaking four and then pair that with some really more specific pace guidelines because right now the what you're doing with you know just sort of going based on how it feels or running as hard as you can i mean that's that's not a formula for success because it's not going to allow you to work the right systems at the right times to peak when you need to for twin cities but it does make me feel like a little bit of a badass, which is worth something. <laughs> In which case, then, you know, the statement of purpose becomes really important. <laughs> because if that's all it's about and sub four doesn't have meaning, then go for it. You know? Yeah, I, I hear you, but it's really not. I mean, I think the novelty of, you know, trying to run fast is fun. But it's not, it's not what I want. That's not, um, it's not my goal. You want the four. Yeah. Good. <laughs> you're going to need, you're going to need that. You're going to need that certainty. Um, so Chris, I, I guess, where are we at now in terms of, we've, we've slowed her down a bit. Right, we are we look have we looked at those intervals in terms of are they are they are they hitting optimal paces for where she's at, um, or are we going to continue to free flow and 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 hit them as we hit them? Um, you know, I think the commitment to doing a little bit more volume is going to be crucial and key. I mean, some of that's going to happen with longer runs. Um, you know, so I guess I'm a little bit like it seems like a giant like a big giant thing. And I'm not sure where I'm sitting right now. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we're going to need to take part of this offline, which is actually right over some of the cells in her little spreadsheet so that we yes. can get to the specifics week by week, which, you know, won't take that long for us to do, but you know, there's no way for us to easily do it, you know, to talk through it and, and to have it make sense for anybody. But you know, to me, you know, if we can agree on those sort of three pillars, which is that, hey, we're going we're gonna to ramp up the long run a little bit more aggressively. We're going to limit the VO2 interval work to 10K pace once every three weeks. We're going to do one tempo run at half marathon pace once every three weeks. And by the way, for these paces, Mary Margaret, if you use the McMillan calculator, which we use for all these types of things, is... You know, nine nine oh nine nine ten is your marathon pace for sub four. Half marathon is eight forty eight forty two. Ten k is eight fifteen, and five k is seven fifty six. So you'd be doing those intervals around eight fifteen. You'd be doing your tempo work around eight forty, okay. and you know, not necessarily running faster than that. You know, although we might prescribe some strides here and there as well each week in order to keep that, that top end speed working. But basically, I would say one simple run every three weeks, one interval session at 10K paces once every three weeks, a more aggressive long run schedule, and then potentially adding in when you're not doing a tempo run, a true medium long run during the week. So instead of running fast for 
seven, eight miles every week, like this schedule prescribed and prescribes instead doing building up to a 10 mile medium long run during the week that you run at easy paces, which for us easy would fall into the category of at least 30 seconds slower than your marathon pace or slower than that. Okay. So to me, that would be the other pillar here is a medium long run that kind of gets to the volume question. And those would be the changes I would make. I like it. Can we align on that, Steve? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I think there's one other thing. I mean, you hit your nail on the head on everything, Chris. I do think there's one other thing that I think would be very valuable for Mary Margaret through this process um, is to also know that um, it's just to remember that no matter what, your easy days really have to stay easy in order mm -hmm. for this to work. Um, and you can't start thinking about um, your race on those easy days and get yourself rolling a little bit faster. And the next thing you know, you're hitting, as you said early on, basically your, your marathon goal pace. Um, I think that the changes that Chris has suggested and that I'm 100% behind um, will help you slow down some because you'll be a little more tired and a little more – and because you have that conservative nature about not wanting to get hurt, mm -hmm. that will all play out pretty well. But I do think it's really, really important for you to realize that – you are going to need to really dial back on those other days of the week that you're running, um, no matter how good you feel, and especially in the first three to four weeks as you're beginning to get adapted to okay. a little bit of a different load. And for us, that would mean at least a minute slower than your marathon pace on long runs, so 10-10 or slower, and at least 30 seconds slower than your long run pace on the other days where you're running easy. And you, you know you might say, well, that's hard. I can't do that. I can't go that slow, and and we're gonna implore you to learn yeah, <laughs> because that, that's I always tell I always tell my runners if you have trouble going slow, then that means there's inefficiencies that exist when you're running faster that you just don't see. You okay. should be efficient at all pace levels. You know, if you're comfortable and conversational at nine ten per mile or nine minutes per mile. You should be able to get comfortable and conversational at 1010 and slower because that not only ensures that we're keeping you safe as we build the volume, but also that you're in the right aerobic zone to build your aerobic foundation, which is the platform on which sub four marathons are built. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the cross training and the other activities you're doing. You know, when you emailed me and said you were doing cross training by doing the stairmaster or climbing up a steep hill on the treadmill, I sort of uh, my interest perked at the definition of that as cross training, and I'd be curious to see what Steve thinks. In my mind, that is not cross training in the least. You know, that's something else. That's another workout because and because cross training is it's truly another opportunity to get for runners if running is the purpose and you're cross-training for running, cross-training in the running context is aerobic, but also low intensity, so that you're, it's just an opportunity to get basically more aerobic volume without the pounding on your feet and legs. Uh -huh. And so if you're doing an intense hike like that, or Stairmaster, or whatever it may be, you're, you're working power, you're working intensity at some level that, that might be more strength-oriented, 
but and and your and your breathing might get escalated as a part of that to a point where you're working something else besides building your aerobic capacity. That to me is not cross training. Huh. Okay. Um. Well, I don't swim. I mean, I can't. I can. I cannot drown, but I can't really swim. And uh, and I don't really bike. So I don't know. I'm open to suggestions. Do you need that extra well, day? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I have, I mean, I have one day off, right. And then I'm running five days in some capacity. So yeah, I got to do something that last day. And I do do, I do do weights and I don't do crazy heavy weights, but I just do like try to get a full body workout with, you know, a moderate amount of weight. So what does your weightlifting look like? What days and frequency? Um, I usually go a couple of days a week, but it's like, you know, 25 minutes of a little bit of everything. Except I don't do, I don't do, I don't really do squats because I don't like to go over there with, with the big men. But I do like leg press <laughs> and, and I do like leg extension and the, um, stuff like that for the legs. And, and then I do stuff with the band. Like I do my side steps with the band on my ankles and, um, and then arm stuff and core, lots of core. All that's good. A couple times a week is perfect. I'm going to throw something really radical out there, which is what if instead of doing this Terramaster, you actually did a sixth run really easy. I would be completely fine with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm 100% <laughs> agreement with that, Chris. I was even going to suggest going for a walk, a longer walk, especially since you have that background of having done long walks. Does that help you stay clear? Does it help? You know, what we're looking for really is is being sure that you're working your tendons, ligaments, and muscles in a little bit of a different way. And so you could get that out of that as well. So I think there's another run or a longer walk or something of that nature could, could pay really big dividends. Yeah. And we live out on, I live on a dirt road and it's pretty hilly. So that kind of gives me some, um, some options for some diversity. Yeah. I mean, a, a hike, a walk, a easy run would be perfect, but I think that's going to serve you better than, than the Stairmaster or some crazy incline on the treadmill. Okay. And the other things, the strength, I think all that's perfect. A couple of times a week, working core, working full body elements. You know, I do think if a ha- if the hamstring is an issue, you know, that's the only thing you might think about there is what specific exercises are you doing to help provide stability for that hamstring. But I'm sure you've thought through that. Yep. I've done my homework there. Cool. I take care of it. Cool. So perfect. So, you know, to recap, we're talking about, you know, limiting, you know, the one interval workout every three weeks, one tempo run every three weeks. And I'll, I'll print out that schedule and kind of send you a, some modifications so you can follow it. 
We're going to add a little bit of volume on the long run and to a medium long run during the week. And then converting that that Stairmaster day to a sixth easy run or walk. That sounds great. What are we missing, Steve? Anything? I don't think so. I think we've got, I think this is going to be an interesting project. And I think that, um, I do think Mary, Margaret, you're going to need to check in with Chris and I occasionally to be sure that you feel like you're on. Okay. Because I do think there's going to be some times where you're going to really worry that maybe you're not doing the right thing um, or that there might be something better for you to do. And I don't think you should worry about that too, too much, but I am pretty sure based on my experience that I can say that, but it might not be another thing that happens in real life. So just know that um, as best we can, we'll try to get back with you and let you know what you need, what, what, what would be better in a situation, but trust your gut. And you're obviously really smart about this. You know what you want and you want it really badly. And so if you can't get a hold of us, then still trust your gut. We can make whatever. There's no way you're going to ruin anything at this okay. point in time. Um, you, got enough, you got enough fear of overdoing it, and you got enough fight to make you want to push really, really hard. And probably somewhere in between is, is on, on different given days, different things will be the right, the right thing to do. Okay. <laughs> well, what questions, if any, do you have for us at this point? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, I, um, I, I really, I, I, I am glad that you led me the way you did. I really somewhere deep down felt like that that was the way I needed to go. (laughs) Um, I, I felt like I needed to dial back with the, with the speed a little bit, but I just couldn't quite, um, convince myself to do it yet. Um, I'm excited. Well, we're excited to see where this goes. And as Steve said, if you certainly, if you have questions, reach out. We'll also have to have you back on as we approach that date in October to talk about your race plan, get you all ready to go sub four there. We both know Twin Cities well, so we will happily prepare you in that respect as well. Okay, guys, thank you so much. I'm so excited about this. Of course. You know, we're also doing this out of necessity because we have money on the line. <laughs> so, I know. Um, you know. I, I, believe me, I am, I am super aware of that. So it's a selfish pursuit too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this has been awesome. And thank you for being willing to jump in with us. We really appreciate it. All right. You bet. Here we go. And look for an email from me with more specifics. Okay. Thanks, Chris. There you go. Mary Margaret, folks, with Steve and I putting our money where our mouth is. Hopefully you were able to relate in some way to her story or for those that are out there following internet schedules, maybe this gave you some thoughts on how you might adjust your program to get the most out of it. So hopefully you learned something or can at least follow along and root for Mary Margaret as we go to see if Steve and I have to pony up at the end of this So good luck to you, Mary Margaret. We'll be in touch and, of course, have you back on as we get closer to race day to coach you up with race strategy. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been Episode 83 of the Running Rogue Podcast. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.